morning, if you need that Bible, lift up your hand. We're going to read from Romans um, 16, which has 27 ancient names. So if you want to see if I'm making it up or not, just lift up your hand. You'll get a Bible. You can, we can compare notes. It'll be really, really cool. You doing all right? Okay, here we go. All right. If you do have the Bible, go to, go to Romans uh, 16 on your app, on the page. Uh, let's pray, and we'll jump in. Lord. Thank you for another day. Thank you for a chance to sing songs to you that remind us of how good you are. There's no way we'll fully understand how much you love us. And since we sang it, we believe it. And now, Lord, we want to see how good you are as you work out your way through your people. So open our minds to see what's right and true. Lord, even in a text that has just a lot of names that we don't even understand, teach us, we pray, what it means to be faithful like these men and women were faithful to you and to the people around them, grow us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So name drop, right? We all do it. You do it. I do it. If you haven't heard of it, it's where you throw in a place or a person that just, you know, conveniently makes you look better, right? So we, 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 we all name drop. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the Masters. Name drop. Um, the hardest ticket to get in all of sports is the Masters. And... Uh, I was able to go for two days, name drop, on that. And then so uh, on day two was uh, at hole, I think, hole seven. And then Phil Mickelson gets a birdie. So we're walking along, me and Phil, towards hole number eight. And <laughs> what? I, you walk with the players. So I'm walking along and it says, you know, hey, nice birdie, Phil. And then he just looks over, you know, the little tip of the hat. Thank you. And so me and Phil. And uh, Phil Mickelson, he, see, we're both lefties, and we're both really, really good. And so here we are, me and Phil at the Masters, and uh, name drop, you know. So now when he said, thank you, since you're not close, what he, what he meant was, when we're done, if you want to go grab a bite to eat, that's totally cool. And if you ever need a place to stay, just come over to my house. And since we're both lefties, you can use my clubs. I'm sponsored by Callaway. No, no, no big deal. So yeah, why don't you not believe me? I, See, because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing names that make me look a little better. And we do it all of the time. So why talk about name dropping? Because we're almost at the end. This week and then next week are the end of our long series in a book or a letter called Romans. Paul writes a letter to a church he's about to visit. He shares the way of Jesus. He explains his faith. Like nowhere else in the Bible, if you read Romans, you get a clear explanation of all that God has done in Jesus. And we're getting towards the end, and what we're going to read literally are a bunch of names. Chapter 16, we're going to read the first 16 verses, and in it are 27 ancient names that, in one sense, you'd be like, wow, that's weird. Why would we... Why would Paul put that in a letter? We'll explain it. So here's the, here's the goal. We're going to read 27 names. Then we're going to spend uh, a week on each name, a week on Junia, a week on Andronicus. <laughs> and, and so when someone says, yeah, why am I not at church? I used to be there. Jose killed it. <laughs> 27 weeks of ancient <laughs> So I thought about it, but I love you too much. All right. This, this, this is going to be good. It's not a throwaway. Because Paul's given us the content, but he's doing something here. This is actually a gold mine. This is the greatest collection we have of what the early Jesus community looked like. What did, what did it mean like to follow Jesus 10 years, 20 years after Jesus rose again? 
we get a glimpse of what it looked like by the very names he gives us. And what you're going to see he has to say about them should shape the way people speak about you and me as a church. So here's the plan. I'm going to read it, make a comment on some of the names are interesting and what they did was interesting. And then we're going to look and circle back at the big picture. Why? Why would Paul give these people and what is the church in Hillsboro supposed to look like? More importantly, what does God want to do and shape in us as a local church? What are we supposed to grow into as we look at these men and women? So uh, let's just read Romans 16. We'll start in verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon from the church of Kinkire. And I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way that's worthy of all of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including, including me. So Paul starts with the person who delivered the letter. Uh, how did it get, he's in Corinth, and it, the letter gets through him. How did he, he didn't send it like post office. You sent it with a friend. So Phoebe is a friend of his. Before Facebook, LinkedIn, or just cyber stalking, how do you know people are who they are, right? Back in the day, you would carry letters of commendation. You would literally, if you're going to go to Rome and you're going to end up needing to stay at someone's house, you'd have people who would be known or reputable write you a letter. I know them and here's how we're connected. So if someone shows up at your door and needs a place to stay, you don't let in someone who's like sketchy. That's the way you know. So Paul, at the end of his little letter to introduce himself to this church, says, oh, by the way, Phoebe, receive her. Why? Our sister, she's also a Jesus follower, and we get two things about her that are interesting. Paul says about her first, Phoebe is a deacon. What's that? The word is diakonos. We've looked at it before. It's simply the word servant. So if you had a household uh, and you had people, you know, cleaning the dishes and washing your sheets and taking care of your landscaping, uh, those would be diakonos. They'd be servants. And that was in the culture, there were people who owned and there were people who served. So Phoebe is a servant, but that word was picked up by the church. Read Acts 6 and you see that God set apart some people to model what Jesus is like by leading through serving. They're called deacons, the diakonos. So these were official positions in the church. And what a deacon did was there were a leader who cared for the practical needs of those in the community. You're talking about an economy where the government really can't step in and help. So early on in Jesus' family, men and women, young and old, got together and said, if you're in God's family, we're here for you. And so the deacons, men and women, Phoebe happens to be one of them, are those who are given leadership as the church collects resources. How do we make sure everyone gets what they need? Phoebe is one of them. But the second thing is interesting. You say, well, oh, yeah, well, some people... You know, lowly servants. No, wait a minute. Phoebe's a benefactor. She is a rich businesswoman. Whether she earned it or inherited it, we don't know. In the first century, though, we know that most of the accolades went to guys. There were women who were at authority and rule, but really it was a guy-centered society. Much more even if you're troubled by today, <laughs> try first century, women were seen for some as even property. So, in that kind of culture, who's the first person that Paul tells us about? Phoebe. Who has 
the important task of bringing the letter. Phoebe, who's a benefactor? She has enough wealth that she supports the church. Not only does she serve, help, make sure people are cared for, but she also gives big. And she has been a help to who? Me, Paul says. Full circle. Paul writes the letter because he's coming to them. We saw last week he's coming to them because he, he wants to go to Spain and plant the church. He needs resources, people, power, funding. So this is wise. He sends Phoebe, who's been with him. She's, her, this town mentioned is a couple of miles out of Corinth where Paul's writing. Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth planting this church. That's probably where he met Phoebe, who's a businesswoman. And she helps him out. Now she goes to Rome for business, and he's modeling what's to come. Just like I'm going to come to you in Rome and ask for your help, you get to know Phoebe. Find out about my life and work through this great woman who's been caring for practical needs and been generous. Now, what does it have to do with us? We, we live in the same model. 2,000 years later, in our church, we have diakonos. We have people who are servants at all sorts of levels. It takes more than 100 plus people every weekend just to put this gathering on alone when you count those who are set up and tear down and music and, and setting up the chairs and putting the food and coffee together and taking care of the kids. More than 100 people, young and old, men and women, who are coming here early, staying late to serve you. And then over every one of these areas, we have deacons. That's what it means for us. We have men and women. In our church, we have 22 right now. And, and with every year and with our growth, we continue to add more and more men and women who are humble, who are servants, but are also leaders. Don't think of a deacon as the person who does it for me, like my assistant. No, these are leaders who model what it's like to love people and care for people in Jesus' name. And so uh, we, have, uh, we have deacons over our kids. We have deacons over youth. We have deacons over communities, life on life, um, set up and tear down our tech crew. We have people in place so that when you come here to serve, there's someone who's looking out for you. As you come to give, there's someone who's caring for you and your life. And when needs come up, they're the first ones who step in. And when the needs are greater, which sometimes they're greater than a few people can handle, our, our deacons come and they bring matters up to the church at large and say, this family is going through it. And what can we do together to love them through, which is exciting. You have people that you may not know because they don't have a, a big badge or a big place that care about you. And if you're one of our deacons and, and you know who you are, can you do me a favor? We want to put you on the spot because we love you and we want to recognize you. We had a bunch in our first gathering. If you're one of our deacons, can you just stand up and stand up and stand up and here I'm waiting, I'm waiting. There we go. Well, since you represent all of humanity. Sorry, man. Everyone else got up early. That's what you get. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so we have, we have 22 here, and we, we thank you. We thank you, those of you who serve. And we thank you, those of you who give. You say, well, because well, of business or life, I, I can't take that leadership. Maybe you're like Phoebe, and you're a benefactor. This church would not be able to do all that it does if it wasn't for generous people who happen to be in business and for whatever reason doing well, and who give more. Now, it's not the amount that you give. So if you give more than $10,000 a year, I want you to, no, I'm just kidding. That's just, that's just weird, right? That's touchy. But there are people who give ridiculous amounts of resources 
so that we can keep going and keep planting more churches and doing more work. And I thank God for every one of you. Now that's a word. Maybe you're new and you haven't stepped in. Well, serve. Let Phoebe be an example of what it means to be busy in business but serving the church. And if God's given you resources of any level, give. This is an invitation. Not because Jesus loves you more or, or we're looking to, to fill the bank account. No, there are real needs. I'm proud to say in our six-year history, we have never not been able to do something because of money. Whenever God's burdened our heart to help someone or to start a new initiative or to plant a church, the resources have been there because we've said, hey, we want to do this. And before we can even finish the sentence, you step in. So I'm not saying that as a slam. Like Paul is grateful for Phoebe. As one of your leaders, I'm so grateful for you and what you're doing. Just keep up the good work. Well, in this, he, he says the letter's been given by Phoebe. And now let's just look at a couple of the names, 26 and I'll stop and pause to highlight a few. Let's look at verse 3. It says, Greet Priscilla, who's a woman, and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Some of them he says nothing. Some he says, like, some interesting details. All the Gentiles are grateful. Uh, when they were in Corinth... He had the same trade, Aquila, as Paul. He was a tent maker. He worked with his hands, worked with leather, created things. He was an artist. And that's how he made his living. And so when Paul moves to Corinth, that's what he does. He goes to work. He's a craftsman, and he meets Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And they connect, and they become this team. You see, when you do God's work, when you go and obey, when you follow God's leading, God will bring people in your world that you never knew. And that's the beauty of following Jesus. And so as they go, and Paul goes in obedience, he meets Priscilla and Aquila, and they start going, and they join the team, and they were hardworking servants who kept Paul going. Sometimes Priscilla and Aquila worked full-time to provide enough money, and they shared it with Paul so he could spend more time preaching and teaching and leading the church. And so you always see teamwork, and they're a husband and wife team. And I think that's beautiful. It doesn't always happen this way. But he highlights, he says Priscilla first, then Aquila, which in order, it might not be a big deal to us, in their society, the man was almost always mentioned first. But Priscilla may have been converted to Jesus first. We don't know. Maybe she was more of the upfront leader and, and a, her husband maybe did more of the business. And we don't know, but often, not always, he mentions Priscilla first, which is interesting. Um, Husband and wife teams. I think of people. I'm going to mention a few. I'm going to name drop. But if I don't mention you, it's not because you're not working. But, but these are some. Mike and Chris Akinson, if you've ever met them, they're a retired couple. Half of our church is here because of them. Because they just love people. I'm not kidding. They just welcome people and love people. Kevin and Tracy Nordyke. Kevin, since day one, this church is one of our deacons. He doesn't drink coffee and he leads our coffee team which is efficient because he doesn't drink it. You know, but he just, he doesn't even like it. But he gets dirty and leaves her smelling like coffee every week because of you. And his wife, Tracy, leads with our women and our mentoring. And I'm grateful for them both, Tom and Karen Eubanks, uh, Brent and Amy Wilson, uh, uh, Jamie and Patty Herring. They were here in this first gathering and now they're in a side room with some other people praying right now for you. They could have gone home. They could be having lunch. But they decided to spend time to pray 
for your good. Michael and Christina Ryan, they're both musicians and they play. Dart and Kelly Strickland, um, the Stricklands and their, their, their three girls, they're here usually 5.30 in the morning, 6 in the morning every week. All of them to serve you. Um, Jim and Jamie Haley, uh, Jamie leads our kids. She ran a marathon today in, in like Boston pace, qualified for like her first marathon, hello. But uh, Jim plays guitar and so there are a lot, I could go on and on and on and on. My point isn't to highlight a few. My point is to highlight faithfulness, right? There are lots of us in this community serving husbands and wife. And then look at what he says afterwards. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So church isn't just this. This is part of what it means. The church is, uh, in, in, in Greek, is the ekklesia. It's the called out ones. It's the people who've been separated by God to be a real family, even though, like naturally, we have nothing in common. We have like very little in common, but Jesus has brought us together. And he says, greet the ecclesia at their, greet the church at their house. So church from day one has always been, always big and small. It's been the whole community and some others. And right now, there are at least 30, 30 plus of you, uh, couples, singles, who open their home and have other people come in once a week or twice a month and love one another and care for one another. And for those of you who do that, we just want to say thank you. He says, greet the church that meets in their house. And so if you're not connected, hear me. Here's a tip. If you feel like this is too big for you, it is. This is too big. You don't really build relationships sitting in a row staring at a weird guy who's talking about himself and his deep relationship with Phil Mickelson. This is, which it is, it is deep. Later on, a couple of holes later, kid you not, Dart is my witness. A couple of holes later, his kids were over there on the side as I happened to be standing there. And, and, he, and he came over to his, I think it was his son or his daughter, says, man, come here, like, I, I need some good luck, which he was doing okay at the time. And I'm thinking, Phil, what do you need them for? I am right here. <laughs> he doesn't know. He's got a friend. Anyway. This is a true story. That day, he was in fourth or fifth place. The next day, he tanked when we left. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> so we got a couple who serves the Lord and loves, and loves people, loves the church. Now, you keep reading on the list, and it gets really interesting. I'll, I'll speed a little faster, but we'll... We'll pick up on a few. Verse uh, 5. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. So Paul is in Asia at the time. He's like, the first person who came to Jesus is now in Rome. By the way, he name drops. He's like, I actually know him. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, which to me, that sounds like a gladiator story, doesn't it? Like Andronicus meets Junia. And my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, oh, they went to jail for their faith because of their faithfulness. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So he, he name drops this couple, Andronicus and Junia are a husband and wife, more than likely, and they are, what, outstanding among the apostles, which sounds a little weird. Jesus had his group of 12 men, right? And he appointed them to go and represent him to the world. One of them turned out to be a traitor, Judas, hung himself. And they selected Matthias, if you read Acts, 
to join the 12, the 12 apostles. But then Paul's included as an apostle. He meets Jesus and says, I want you to go to the non-Jews. You're my messenger. Diakonos, servant. Just means servant, but it's also a leader. And the same word for apostle. An apostle is an apostolos or a messenger. So if you're the emperor or the mayor and you want to tell the word, this is pre-email, pre-internet. You send your official messengers, your apostles. That's all it was. An official, kind of like an ambassador, a messenger to say, this is what the emperor says. You better listen up. It's my voice, but it's his words. So in the Bible, you find that there are, in a sense, two levels. There are many apostles, small case A, sent ones. And Adronicus and Junia, we don't know exactly what they're doing. More than likely, they were sent out to plant churches as a couple because they were in prison with Paul. And most often he's in prison when he goes to plant a new church and people hate him. So we don't know exactly what they did, but they're outstanding among the apostles. So an apostle simply a sent messenger. And so in that sense, as we read the Bible, there are apostles like Peter, James, and John, capital A. God chose them to be the official messengers to teach what's true, to write down what Jesus taught, and to start the church. But then you have lots of lowercase, small a, sent people, men and women who are called to do the work. And in a real sense, we still have that today. There are people in our community and in our world that have unusual leadership ability or are called to pioneer new works, and we send them out. What you and I would call like a missionary, someone who sent a pioneer work, is really a lowercase a apostle. We often don't use the word because it seems like, whoa, hello, talk about self-promotion. Hi, I'm, and if I ever call myself Apostle Jose, just shoot me, Okay. Because those capital A, that was in the New Testament times, lowercase a, we still see them today. All right, let's just keep going with some more wonderful names. Greet Impliatus, uh, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ. My dear friend Stachys, greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, the wonder twins, both with the same T, T T-R-Y, whose work, uh, whose women, whose work, those women who work hard in the Lord. This is like name stumbling. This is hard. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has very, who's worked very hard in the Lord. Okay, what, what do you see here? Lots of people and this phrase stood the test, worked hard, worked hard in the Lord. What you get about the character of people, remember, these are 26 people. Paul knows, he's never been there, but he knows 26 people in this church. Who does he highlight? Worked hard, faithful. Uh, Some of them are couples. Some have been in prison. Some have suffered. And that's why he raises them up. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, And his mother, who's been a mother to me too. That's intriguing. So Paul has his own mother, but then there are people in your life who are like a mother. Greet um, Asenincritus, greet Phlegon, greet Hermes, greet uh, Petrobus, greet Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. 
Greet uh, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Did I pronounce them correctly? Here's the rule of thumb. Just read fast. Just, just read fast. Because I'm Jose, and in Africa, I'm Jose, and in French-speaking countries, I'm Jose. So did I get them right? The answer is yes. In my own way. All right. Rufus's mom. This is an interesting one. Greet Rufus's mother who was a mother to me. This is a blessing that I hope for your life. Paul had people in his world. His mom evidently is not there. Maybe she's died. Maybe she lives far away. But then Rufus, who's a brother in the faith, his mom steps in and becomes something special to his life. I grew up going to church. My parents were really excited about their faith when I was a kid. It was new to them. Following Jesus didn't happen until I was about three years old in their world. So what they decided to do is to give us what they didn't have, a real deep, rich church family. And so we were, we were there every time the church was open, and I had lots of moms and dads, aunts and uncles, older brothers and sisters. In other words, my parents had a spy network that wherever I went, no joke, we would go to the mall on a Tuesday. I would come home. So what were you guys doing in the mall? Uh, now this is pre-iPhone find me, like, you know, where you could spy on our kids. This is pre-technology. They knew. And if I did something and went out of line, they knew. Why? God had given us like mothers and fathers, people who cared. And when I was out of line, who were willing and loving enough to help parent me. And my parents are wise enough to know where there are other couples in the church that love and follow Jesus, we can help guide kids together. And that is a real blessing. I remember one family uh, my best friend Fabian and his wife Winsome. What a name. Winsome, they're from Jamaica. And so this lady could cook. We wanted to go to her house. We'd have like one dinner at my house because my mom was a great cook. We'd go over to Fabian's house, have second dinner at their house because she could cook. But um, she also had this gift of discipline. In other words, she was mean. She was loving and she would love you and she's with you. And, you know, but, but Winsome, when I could hear her say, Fabian! Jose, I'm like, oh no, no, mom. And I wouldn't, I'm not saying she would slap us upside the head. I'm saying she would slap us upside the head. Now you could take it as physical and literal or metaphor. I don't care which way you take it. She was a real mom to me and my brothers. And I thank God for it because I'm blessed by it. And so what Paul says is some of these people our family in a real way. And I just hope that for you. I hope that you grow in deep relationships. I hope church for you isn't just a time slot, hour and a half, donut and coffee and check out. I hope that you grow in relationship with people who end up becoming so important in your world that they help you and grow with you. And that if you do have children or you do have uh, nieces or nephews or cousins or some people under your care, that they'll have the benefit of not just your influence, but their influence as well. Okay, so that's, that's like the list of all the people. Back to our two big questions. What should the church in Hillsboro look like? Like, based on all these names and all this stuff, what should we look like? And then what are the kind of people God is calling us to be? Like, what do we learn from a bunch of names? I think at least two things, write them down, because if they're not markers in our church, we're in trouble. And we need God's help. I think the first one's quite obvious. The church ought to be diverse. 
The church ought to be diverse. Now, you see diversity here. The names are also foreign. We actually miss it. But we see it in race, and we see it in, like, relationship or rank, and we see it in gender. Let's just, let's just work them through. Race. Some of them are Jewish, and some of them are non-Jewish. By the way, these groups did not necessarily get along. But in the church, Paul points out, my fellow Jews, and then he points out those who are not Jewish. He goes, I know the leaders in your church, and guess what? They make up all the people. And so when it comes to growth and leadership in the church, it ought to be, it ought to be diverse. It ought to represent the people that actually make up the church. And just because one group is bigger, I mean, Oregon is 80 plus percent Anglo-Saxon white. And so just because one group is ethnically bigger than the rest of the Oregon or Portland metro area doesn't mean that that race or that group should monopolize leadership. It should represent multiple people. Rank. Um, some of the people listed are slaves. How do we know this? Um, Ampilitus, Urbanus, and Hermes were common names for slaves. It doesn't mean they were, but you wouldn't name your kid a slave name if that wasn't your rank. And so we know that there are people who have no property, no rights, belong to someone else, and they're humble, and they probably don't have a big bank account. They belong to the family, and they're mentioned. And then you have Aristobulus, who's more than likely, if this is the same person in history, as the grandson of Herod the Great, and he is a friend of the emperor. And then you have Narcissus, who in history is known as a powerful freedman and who had a relationship with the Roman emperor. You have people with clout and no clout. You have people with positions and just ordinary people. And that's the church. The church ought to be made up. And these are people he lists. that ought to be made up of people who are faithful to God, faithful to Jesus, and, and love God and work hard. And, and, and represent all walks of life. So if you feel like, well, I'm, I'm really not anyone. I'm, I'm just, just a student or just a this. No, you matter and your name's on the list if you're faithful. And so you don't need a position, quote unquote, to be faithful to Jesus. And then I think the biggest one here is we've got to talk about gender. Ten of the 27 are women. The first person he mentions is the person who he entrusts the letter to who is a woman. And in a culture in the first century that women had some rights, but guys definitely eclipsed a woman's rights for sure. So if you're not happy, ladies, with the world the way it is now, just take a time machine back to the first century and you realize progress isn't perfect, but progress has been made. In their day, though, for Paul to list out, hear this, why is he name-dropping these women? He's giving 10 out of 27, almost a third, our ladies to remind all of God's people that everyone matters and everyone has a voice and everyone contributes. Six of the 10, you know what he says about six of the 10? Who labor or work hard in the Lord. In other words, I'm going to read in slightly, subtle slam. He's not saying that too much about the guys. <laughs> now, some of them are. But he highlights Mary, who works really hard in the Lord. And you and I who have been in church for a while know that usually, not always, usually when there is a need presented, ladies will be the first to actually go beyond talking about it and do something about it. 
Not a slam against men, because I know many faithful guys here, and I thank God for every one of you. But it's easier for us to think about our bigger role in career, or this or that, and leave it to someone else. But you see that many of these ladies are known for their faithfulness to the Lord. And I'm thrilled to say that there are um, half of our staff are ladies. Now, now we're not going by some metric. If you hire one, then you hire another. If you hire a little older, then you hire a little younger. We're not into those games. But more than half of our staff leaders are ladies here because we value all that God is doing. Many of our deacons are, are ladies. And we have ladies serving in every area of leadership. And, and the church ought to be a place where we celebrate the diversity of giftedness and we highlight not titles. Hear me. We say, well, I, I, don't, I don't see any ladies doing X. We, we're not big on titles. We're big on faithful servants to Jesus because that's what Paul highlights in this letter. These have been faithful. So the church ought to be diverse. All right, the second thing is the church ought to stay united. The church ought to stay together, which is why he gives this mishmash. Look at the unity. You got couples serving together, Priscilla and Aquila, Andronicus and Junia. And all throughout the list, what you realize is he shows a diverse group of people who are together in one church. And this is something we need to fight for. We need to fight for everyone being able to do their part in Jesus' name. And we need to fight to stay together. Here's why. Everything, hear me, everything in our culture just think of what gets on TV. Just think of a 30-minute news program, which, tip, years ago I just gave up watching the news on TV because it's all inflamed towards ratings. The most highly obnoxious, weird, crazy story is what makes the air because you'll stay to the end to watch the commercials which fund the thing. And I stopped watching news because I realized it's just, it's just inflamed. Everything in our culture is pushing are wedges that should divide us. What are the stories that make the headlines? About division, about separation, about tragedy. Rather than highlighting all the good things that are happening in our world. But because that's true, we need to fight. Hear me. Fight, not people. We need to fight to stay united. Because there are so many reasons for us to pull apart. Let's just think about what's happening in our world. How should we spend money towards the problems in Hillsborough today? What about homeless homelessness, which is a real issue. It's not just an urban issue, it's a suburban issue. What should we do? Should, should it be more through government funding? Whoa, wait a minute. Should, should the church be involved with government agencies and helping? And shouldn't we stay in neutral and devoid of that? Or should we do something separate? Should we do the exact same thing except put Jesus' name on it? There are going to be different opinions on how to tackle any issue but here's what we need to do. We need to stay united in Jesus. Let's talk about education because it's not controversial at all. Should we be connected with, with public education? Should you put your kids out, pull them out and, and do private education? Well, that's expensive because you just do homeschooling. Which, which should we be for for the building up of our kids? Which is the most healthy environment? There's no diversity of opinion here at all about such things. None. I'm like, I was, hey, like, what, what, you know, what, what's right? Well, there are going to be lots of opinions. So what we want to do is we want to stay united on the things that matter. This beautiful line, I'm going to round it out, verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to practice while we preach. I want you to look to the right. It may get odd. I want you to look to the right. And I just want you to give a very holy kiss 
to the person next to you. Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hashtag me too. I'm going to get in trouble. Like, like, oh no. Controversy. First 27 weeks in Romans 16. Then he said kiss. No. A kiss. A kiss. Which if it's your wife, you should, you should go do it there. Because that, 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 that's okay. A kiss was the standard form of greeting in the first century and definitely amongst the Jews because we were together, God's people accepted. When you came into a gathering, you, you know, growing up in our youth group, because I grew up in New York, cultures change. For us, that may be like a handshake or it may be a hug. It's, it's not an anti-germ pound where like I'm afraid to touch you like, eh. You know, it's, it's whatever the appropriate greeting that says, you're welcome here. Like I... I accept you. Growing up in youth group, uh, we would give each other a kiss on the, ch- uh, on the cheek. And for the guys, it would be a hug. In many places where I go around the world, if you come into a church gathering, everyone t- stops for a hug and usually a kiss on both sides of the cheek. And it's a cultural way of saying, you are close. We may not even know each other yet. We're not like best friends, but I accept you. And what Paul says is to keep the unity, greet, love one another in a deep way. Don't just be like book club friends. Don't just be occasional like I'll see you at the building or like athletic sports. You know, we're both for the same team. We're both for 26 West Church. Go orange, you know, whatever. That is our pop color, by the way, in case you didn't know that. It was the greeting that said you belong. And though he says, All of the churches of Christ send their greetings. So Paul says, greet these people, and then he throws it back. I represent, this is, you want to talk about boldness? He's an apostle. I represent all the churches. You're over here. We're over here. I represent all these churches. I'm saying all of these brothers and sisters greet you as well. You and I are a part of something big. We're a part of a church, lowercase c. We're just one church community amongst millions around the world, but we're part of the big C. The big thing that Jesus is doing, you and I are a part of. So some churches, go back to the diversity thing, some churches will have a broad mix, and I'm, I'm grateful to say as I look out and I see that there is a broad mix ethnically and, and racially and definitely economically. We have people with great wealth in this church and people just getting by paycheck to paycheck. We have young and old. We have single and we have married. We have empty nesters and those who are buying diapers by the caseload. And I think that's just Jesus, right? Jesus is for all of us. So we want to be that kind of people. All right, two questions to guide like our response because this list causes me to think about who we are. The first is, are you in God's family? Are you in God's family? Every one of them, what unites them, isn't their race, isn't their gender, isn't their status. It is Jesus. Jesus impacted every name on this list. Here's the dangerous part of growing up in America today. And it's unlike any time in the world. You can slip in and slip out and no one knows if you really belong. I love church history and I've studied it my whole life. In most of church history, if you join a church you were interviewed to make sure you truly had confessed Jesus Christ. 
You knew the leaders and they met with you often to check on the state of your soul. Now, if that were to happen here in this church, two-thirds of us would leave and say, you're infringing on my personal rights of freedom. Now, I'm all for personal rights, and I think there's a blessing to not living in a legalistic setting, but there is a lack of accountability sometimes for us to call each other out. Are you actually in God's family? That's not a, if you're not, you're not welcome here. No, 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 no. The invitation is to join not just a building and an event, but to join the family of God. And you're welcome and you're invited. And the reason we're here is to call and remind ourselves that Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is the leader and Jesus is the Lord and Jesus rescues anybody and Jesus takes mess-ups and forms us into masterpieces. Jesus is the one who rescues and saves so you can follow him. And our word to you today is follow him. Follow him here. Follow him with people. Second, have you found your place? Um, Every, every person on the list was doing something. And that's what makes them stand out. They worked hard in the Lord. They went to prison for their faith. They were like a mother to me. And, and you've got a spot. You have something with your name on it. And I'm not just an advocate of everyone doing a task to check it off the list. That's useless. You have people in this church that you are called to love and serve and invest in. You don't need a title and you don't need a program. What you need is a heart for God. And when your heart is for God, you can begin to say, Lord, I have my stuff, got my junk, got my baggage. Work on me while I invest in someone else. Everyone can invest in somebody else in this church. And you don't need a, you don't need a program to do it. So have you found your place? If you haven't, can I just encourage you right after this, drop your lunch plans and meet us the side room right over here. At one o'clock, right after this gathering's done, we're gonna let people give them time to, to say goodbye. And at one o'clock, we're gonna be in that side room and maybe just, you say, I've been coming here for a year, come anyway, and, and find some people and find your place. Uh, we wanna be God's people connected together, lifting up Jesus. And I'll pray that we're a church that does that, not just on Sunday, but every day. All right, why don't you stand on your feet? And now we get to sing songs to Jesus together. Uh, the invitation is to belong. And what God did in Rome, we wanted to see him do it here uh, on the 26th highway. This is our space. Why 26 West? Why not like Cornelius Pass? Because we think like everyone along the highway ought to love Jesus all the time. And everyone within 500 miles of the highway ought to love Jesus. And everyone 10,000 miles from the highway. This is like, this is our starting spot not our end point. And so we want you in the family of God. As we worship, I'm, I'm going to start with a prayer. And worship can begin with just talking to God and telling what's true. So join me and let's pray. And um, there may be some of you here who are not yet in God's family. So I'm going to invite you as we pray. If you're not yet one who said, Jesus, I confess that I have broken your law. I've done my own thing. I've gone my own way. I've rebelled, I'm, I'm a sinner, that's what the Bible says. But Lord Jesus, I believe that you came and died and rose again to rescue me from that old life and to show me the way of the new life, that I could be free to live the way you intended, free to serve, free to give, free to be the person that you created me to be, free to love, free to care. And if you're here this morning, 
want to pray for you. If you say, Jose, I want to take the next step in following Jesus. Maybe you've never started. Maybe you've never gotten off like step one. Maybe you did years ago and you've fallen away back to old habits, old stuff, but you've heard the message again. You say, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to go and live for him. If you're here this morning, our first act of worship is confession. And I'm asking you to shut your eyes just for a second, friends. But if you want to make your confession this morning to God, not, not just to me, but to God, I want to take the next step, Jesus, in following you. I want to receive your grace and mercy. I, I, I want to admit that I've blown it and I need a second chance or a third or a fifth or a tenth. Today I want to follow you. And I, God, I want to go your way. On the count of three, I want to pray for you, but on the count of three, if that's you, I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to slip up your hand and hold it up high before God and say, God, I'm going to worship you, but I need to take this next step and actually follow you. If you're here this morning, you're probably not alone. There were people in our 9 a.m. gathering who did the same thing. This isn't a shame on you. It's an opportunity to receive grace. If that's you, one, it's the gift of God. Two, the gift is in Jesus Christ alone. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand. One, two, three. Say, I need to go to the next step in following Jesus. Yep, over here, over here. Anyone else on the sides? You can put it down. That's awesome. Anyone else? Real quick, real quick. Yeah, you can put it down. Awesome. Anyone else? I, I want to take the next stop, step in following Jesus and going his way. Lord, I want to say thank you. Thank you for bold people who are saying, yes, they want to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in all of our world and how you're shaping us and changing us and being patient with us. And now, God, from this moment, we want to take steps that are filled with worship. Holy Spirit, now do it again. You did it in Rome 2,000 years ago. You built this church that made an influence for the kingdom and the gospel spread throughout the empire. Lord, we pray that you would do it again. Do it again in our day. Do it again in our church. Do it again in our city, we pray. And we worship you, expecting you to do great things. In your name.